You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. And underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I'm Matt Bacon here with Christopher Santos, celebrity chef and host of the whole shindig. And our guest this week is his dear friend, my new friend, comedian Brad Williams. How are you today, Brad? Hey, we met like a few seconds ago. You know nothing about me. I don't know if I'm ready to take this jump in our relationship, man. <laughs> That's acceptable. I, I was I was rolling the dice, but I'll hang my head in shame. Yeah. Christopher, what am I in trouble? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I was just looking at your name on the thing on Zoom where it's Christopher Santos. I tried to change that and it just goes, rolls reverts back. I'm doing something wrong. I'm going to call you Christopher in person from now on. Really uh, <laughs> fuck with your head. You do it on Zoom. Don't do it when you're actually in front of me. <laughs> anyway, what's going on, Brad? This is like a nomad podcast, which makes absolute sense because uh, in the past week, I've been to four states, like seven flights, something like that. It, wow. it, it's been a whirlwind. And and not necessarily states where you're like, rock star life. Like, it started off that way. Last week, I flew, I flew to Vegas, did a show in Vegas on Wednesday. Thursday, day in Vegas. Friday, Omaha, Nebraska. Jealous. Of course you are. That's Friday, Saturday. Sunday, we drive from Omaha to, I don't even know the name of the town, but it's in Iowa. It was the Diamond Joe Casino, wherever that is. And then Monday, we drive, because we're in Iowa and we're like, well, we're in Iowa. What, what should we do in Iowa? On Monday, we drive from the casino like four hours to the site where the field of dreams movie was shot the field of dreams baseball field had a catch on the field of dreams baseball field it's awesome and then drive five hours uh to omaha nebraska where we hop on a plane and fly back to los angeles so it's been a whirlwind weekend is that repeating itself this coming weekend are you, are you, i mean i know you've been quite busy for the last few months oh yeah uh thankfully this weekend is just one location i'm flying to denver colorado doing shows there and uh one spot so no crazy travel days and uh denver's like a three hour two two and a half hour flight from los angeles 
So real easy. This weekend's nothing. Last weekend was nuts. How have your flight experiences been? So far, so good. I haven't had anything too crazy happen. I've seen a lot of videos online of like people just like, I don't know if they've been cooped up too long and they don't know how to act once they get back around people. Uh, the only the only fight I've, act, I've seen wasn't in the air. It was my first Dodger game back. I went to the Dodgers versus the Houston Astros. First time the Astros were back in Dodger Stadium since their scandal and there was crowds. And someone was wearing an Astros jersey. Every time the Astros did something good, they would stand up with their girlfriend and like present themselves to the crowd. Like, look at us. We are so grand. And that's when you saw the Michelada come flying in from like 20 rows back and uh, didn't hit them. Oh, hit a Dodger fan next to them. And then that Dodger fan fought the other fought the other Dodger fan. And I'm just sitting there like, OK, welcome back. So this thing be damned. Let's go. Yeah, I never had seen fights at baseball games before this year, but both baseball games I've been to this year, I've seen fights. I was like, okay, this is what we do now. Yeah, it only took one year. One year of not really socializing and being out in public for us to completely forget what to do. And 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 now like we're acting in real life like we all used to act just on Twitter, where we're not thinking like there's any repercussions. For our actions yeah it's crazy i've been seeing a lot of fights uh, not just at baseball but preseason football like all, all the sporting events <laughs> my favorite fight that i saw in preseason football was the one where like what one guy was kind of yelling stuff but not really and then just you see a different angle and you see a woman just randomly throw a beer and just soak a group and then that group all started fighting like because they all thought the other threw the beer at each other and and you just see the woman walk away slow motion like a quentin tarantino movie and she just like lit something on fire behind her she's like i'm at i'm out of this and i'm just like wow that's ooh, that's badass reminds me of the time i got pepper sprayed trying to break up break up a fight between two groups of complete strangers but one of the girlfriends thought i was part of you know her boyfriend's opponent group oh point blank range Pepper spray to the face. <clears throat> it was awesome. And then you, you've had quite the experiences with like spices, obviously, in the kitchen. So like do you get pepper sprayed in the face and go, hmm, could 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 be a nice rub. Or <laughs> are you or are you pepper spray and you're like, oh fuck, this is horrible. I've eaten whole ghost peppers with uh, the stem and seeds and all. Um, I did that on stage at a, at the New York City Hot Sauce Expo. I went up there, there was like two thousand people to, that were getting ready to watch the Guinness world book of records ghost chili pepper eating contest and i went up there to work the crowd hey it's lovely chef chris santos you all excited for this right not realizing that it wouldn't take long for them all to start chanting eat one eat one eat one oh god and then so i finally grabbed one and they're like stem and all stem and all oh gee. and uh this video out there oh i have it even it was it was rough i can take i eat a lot of hot food that was rough, and pepper spray was horrible. So there was no spices. There's no cooking thing I could come up with there. Yeah. So that's not going to be the new secret ingredient in a basket on, on, on Chopped? I hope not. <laughs> you have soy sauce, filet mignon, pepper spray, yeah, and a roadside flare. Yeah. Go. <laughs> so um, for the listener, you know, this has been primarily a heavy metal podcast. We really like to, um, as I explained to you when we spoke, you know, uh, interview people who are on the road a lot and, and whatnot. And so I guess my one of my questions is, you know, how, so for people who don't know, because they're following us because they're heavy metal fans, um, Brad had is a comedian with 
quite an accomplished career. He's had a couple of Netflix specials and a couple of Showtime specials, right? Is that right? Yeah, correct. Uh, which is a pretty big deal in the comedy world. And um, and he tours all the time. That's how we met, actually. Um, my wife got me tickets to see him because he was one of my favorite comics that we met after the show. And we became fast friends. But touring now, besides the obvious masks and things of that nature, touring now versus when you were going out on the road in, like, say, 2018, 19, what's, what's different? What's crazy? Or... You know, yeah, obviously, like you said, mask on flights and stuff like that. For me personally, I've seen that the audiences that are coming out to shows are so amped and so ready for a show. They've been either they've been cooped up or they've been told like it's either the I've been cooped up. I'm finally vaccinated. I'm going out mentality, which is good. Or it's the fuck the vaccine there's microchips in it and i'm going out to defy everyone so i'm gonna have a lot of fun anyway mentality and and both combined uh make for really like amped audiences that are really happy to be there um like i've done you know i'm coming up in october it'll be 18 years in comedy i've done plenty of shows in front of audiences that didn't want to be there that for whatever reason either they got comps tickets their date dragged them out or it was like at a sports bar and we just started a comedy show and they didn't expect one to happen. That, that, that was like back in my early days. And when you get an audience that doesn't want to be there, it's not impossible, but it's really hard to win them over. But now like everyone wants to be there. The audiences are so thankful. I do meet and greets afterward. Now I take photos with people and they're just excited that they get to experience that. So, so, so for me personally, the crowds have been awesome. They've been really polite i mean knock on wood because i'm going out again this weekend but they they they've been great this has been one of the coolest times and uh that and if you ever don't want to go out for something now you just have the excuse ah covid like now now you don't have to be a dick or anything you just go ah covid and then and then people go okay we'll respect that we'll respect that and and it's fine so you mentioned 18 years what why stand up how did that start it's weird i feel like i've been trained to be a comedian from childhood because for those of you who don't know me i'm a dwarf a little person a person of short stature if you're listening to this just on audio and you can't see it uh you can't tell by my voice i don't come on podcasts i don't sound like a little person i'm not like oh come on chris santos randall and no more podcast we're gonna have a good time <laughs> like we're not like that's not happening so my parents are both tall i'm the only dwarf in my family and my dad when he raised me, he kind of told me like, hey, kids are going to make fun of you when you're growing up. So rather than try to protect me and hide me, he was like, let's let's armor you up. So he, he, he and I would write comebacks together. So like when people would make fun of me, I would have comeback insults and jokes and things like that. And like the first day of school, I got sent to the principal's office because a kid, this is like kindergarten and he walks up and he goes, ha ha, you're little. And I went, ha ha, your mom doesn't live with your dad anymore. And <laughs> I grew up in Orange County. So that's a pretty good chance that that's going to be the case. And that kid's, fa- that kid's family life. So, uh, yeah, I got sent to the principal's office for having the better joke. So that's like how it got ingrained in me. And I was always taught like, hey, when you meet people, crack a joke. Immediately do a joke. Make people feel comfortable to be like make make people understand that you know you're a little person and i do this to this day when i'm up on stage you gotta do a quick short joke so the so the audience doesn't just sit there like does he know it's like yeah yeah i i I know i'm aware uh so you do that 
But then actually getting into stand-up, uh, it was Father's Day 2004, I, I want to say. Yeah, 2004. Father's Day weekend. And uh, I, I took my dad out to the Bray Improv uh, to see a Carlos Mencia show. And he's up on stage and he starts, he starts making midget jokes. And half the audience is laughing. And the audience that's sitting by me is like, no, don't laugh. And, and they're like looking down like, like, like they're very uncomfortable. And he doesn't realize that I'm there. And, 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 and he notices the audience is weird. And he goes, why are you guys weird? What is one of them here? And I just raised my creepy little hand in the air like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. And he called me up on stage. He's like, oh, my God, Dwarf, let's talk to you. So I run up on stage. I, I, I've done, like, school plays, but that's pretty much it to that point. So how, how old and, are you at this uh, point? I'm 19. Okay. And 37 now. There you go. So he starts asking me questions, and I answered the questions honestly. I wasn't trying to be funny. He asked me really basic stuff like, okay, what do you do for a living? And at the time, I was working at Disneyland. So I go, I work at Disneyland. And then the audience laughed. And then I just looked at the audience and I went, fuck you, I'm not one of the seven. <laughs> and the audience laughed at that. And literally it was that moment where I go, oh, this was cool. I said something and a sold out audience, like I think the Bray, I think the Bray Improv at that time held like 350 people. And uh, so like 350 people, I just made laugh with a thought in my head. And that is an incredibly addictive feeling and an amazing feeling. I've never done heroin, but uh, <laughs> from what I've heard from my friends who have, the, the moment they do it, it's like instant like, oh, this is what every waking moment of my life is going to be about. And that was kind of what it was like for stand-up, like when I was on stage making people laugh, I was like, oh, yeah, this is my life now. To be clear, we are not we are not advocating heroin for our listeners, right? No, just black tar. If you're going to do it, <laughs> black tar. No, I'm kidding. Of course, don't do any of that stuff. Okay, so that happens. And then now you're here with all these comedy specials under your belt. And you're, you know, you're, you're one of the busiest touring comedians in the, in the country. You were about to say biggest. You were about to say biggest, and then you <laughs> caught yourself. You're like, busiest, busiest. Good improv move right there, Santos. <laughs> How did you climb the ladder? And that's not a joke about your small arms or anything. It's a lot of things. Everyone always looks for, like, one moment to be like, oh, that thing. And then the next day you were rich, famous, and successful. It's like, it. it it's not that. There's... There's a ton of moments. There, there's a ton of little moments. So like after that initial moment uh, where I went on stage and I was like, I need to do this. There was going to do my first open mic, doing well, going, uh, doing open mics for a year and a half, just driving God knows how long for absolutely no money for three minutes of stage time. And then fast forward to a year and a half after I started, uh, after I had that first thought, I'm, I'm going to do stand up comedy. I went to see him and see a show again. Uh, he was up on, uh, he saw me before the show and he goes, Oh, well, you're that dude from that night. Uh, and I go, yeah, I've been doing stand up now. And he's like, Oh shit. He goes, do you want to open up my show tonight? Let's see what you got. And I'm like, uh, yeah, let's do that. And I'm doing like coffee shops before then. And now it's, now it's at the Ontario improv, which is 400 people. And so I go on 
I do about five minutes, three, three to five, somewhere in there. And uh, I go off stage and Mencia goes back up on stage. It's not his turn to go on stage yet, but he, but he goes on stage and says, Hey, that was Brad. Did you guys like Brad? And the whole audience. Yeah. And he goes, okay, you, you just made a very important decision for me. My current opening act is ready to headline. He's ready to go. He's going to be a great comic and he, and he's going to move on. So I've been looking for a new opening act. You guys really like Brad. So from the stage, he goes, Brad, you want to be my new opening act? And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. So the net, like the week after that, we, we were doing the Fox theater in Bakersfield and, and that's like 1300 people. And like, it was off on the road and he, and he had just gotten the show mind of Mencia. So then uh, he put me on that show. So like you have that moment that kind of launches everything. We do four seasons of the show and subsequent tours. Once those are done, I kind of move out on my own, started headlining like low level rooms and like just like B and C rooms. Cause there's comedy clubs and there's comedy clubs, you know, like there's, there's the cellar in New York, which is like the, the, the best one of the best rooms in the country. And then uh, I'll do a fictional comedy club. There's the chuckle hut in Bismarck, North Dakota. That's not exactly the a room. Uh, I didn't want to actually put down a real comedy club because they're all places where we work and they're all valuable. So do that. I get on a radio show out here in Los Angeles. It's not on anymore, but it was called the Kevin and Bean show. Uh, it was the morning show out here. Very, very show. I did really well on that. They then put me on their uh, big comedy show, uh, which uh, I still have the lineup somewhere. But like on this show, it was Bob Saget, Jim Jeffries, Jay Moore, uh, Tim Minchin, Bill Burr, Eddie Izzard, and me. <laughs> One of these is not like the other ones. But I did my spot, and at the end of my set, I gave one of the morning show DJs, a DJ named Lisa May, uh, I got her up on stage and gave her a lap dance. Crowd goes nuts. Standing ovation. This is at the old Universal Amphitheater. So this is like 5,000 people, four, four or 5,000 people. And Jay Moore is on after me. Jay Moore walks up on the stage and tells the audience, he goes, all right. Let's be honest, after Brad Williams, we're all here playing for second place. And which was really cool of him to say, because comics don't like to give props to other comics, especially when they're on the same show. Um, so he did that. And once he did that, that was another moment that like word spread of like, holy shit, who's this Brad Williams guy? Because those comics started talking about it and the radio show talked about it. So that slowly launched me into the first uh, Showtime special, which is called Fun Size. That launched in the second Showtime special, Daddy Issues. Uh, that launched into the Netflix uh, half hour, The Degenerates. And then appearances on Rogan's podcast, on Your Mom's House, which is Tom Segura's podcast. Doing, um, oh, Something's Burning with Burt Kreischer, where I got really drunk and fell off a stool. The video is on YouTube. Enjoy it. <laughs> So like all these things had really big fan bases and it all kind of snowballed onto itself. So uh, that's, that's kind of how it progressed. You know, so you were an open mic comedian before going on to open for Carlos Mencia. Yeah. What that means for 
most open mic comedians is they really only have like five minutes of material. Yes. Like that they like really believe in. And you, you know, you told me off air that that was kind of your case. So how did you go from having like the five minute open mic set to the, I don't know, 30, 40 minute or whatever it was like opening slot set in a week? I was only required to do like 10 minutes and how you, how you do it is you just throw shit at the wall. You just keep going. Here's the best sort of analogy I've ever heard in terms of how you create material is your first. And by the way, any open mic comic that says, yeah, I got 30 minutes. No, you don't. You have five, maybe three. That's like actually good. Like, like I'm talking about like good stuff. Yeah. Anyone could talk for 30 minutes. Anyone could talk for an hour. It doesn't mean it's going to be good. But um, so the best way that I ever heard described of how a comedian writes material is their first 10 years is you're just figuring out kind of what's funny and you're building your joke machine. Like for me, I'm building, I'm building my Brad Williams joke machine for like the first 10 years. Once you've done 10 years about, you now have your Brad Williams joke machine. Now I can drop in any topic into the Brad Williams joke machine and I know how a Brad Williams joke will come out. I know how that's going to sound. I know what that's going to, I know the beats of it. So like, uh, it just takes time. And that's one of the beautiful parts about comedy and why so many comedians respect each other. Once you get to a certain level is we all know that no one just jumped on stage and had an hour of hilarious stuff right off the bat. Like everyone had to go through that grind of, writing material and trial and error and bombing if it if any comedians like i never really bombed that means you're still bombing like because we've all bombed (laughs) we've all done that you know no one's gotten through this unscathed what are you doing when you're bombing back when i first started i would panic and like i would go i'd go full physical like i would do like I would do a cartwheel when I was bombing. I would like run around the stage. I would like talk to people in the audience. I like, I do crazy stuff, anything possible to try to get them back. Now, like I'm almost 18 years in now when I bomb and when something's not working to me, it's more like a math problem. Like, Oh, it didn't work. Wait, wait, let's fix, let's fix this. Or like I'm engineering where it's like, there must be a gear somewhere that didn't, that didn't work. So like, I'm adjusting in my head and I'm like, okay, what could I do now? Uh, why did that joke not work? It usually works. Did the comedy club just drop checks? Is that why they're not paying attention? Did someone say something over here? Is someone being distracting? Is there a waitress that's being a little too loud? Like what's happening? Does this audience like dirty jokes? Did, did I say a dirty joke? And maybe they're maybe they like clean jokes and I got to kind of clean it up a little bit. Like now it's a math problem in my head. I don't really panic anymore when, when I bomb. Because after 18 years, it's like, okay, I know I'm funny. I know I'm good at this. I've had I've had enough wins. How do you bomb? How do you bomb these days if people are coming to see you specifically? You bomb because you try something new and it didn't it didn't work. I tried something new uh, a few weeks ago. It was a Caitlyn Jenner is running for governor joke and didn't work. It just flat out didn't work. Because the thing about comedy is that like as a chef, Chris, uh, you can make something in your own kitchen or in the kitchen of the restaurant and try it and go, Oh, that's good. We'll probably like that. But as a comedian, the only way to see if something's good is to go up on stage and try it. 
and see if the audience likes it. Like I could tell my friends and they're, and they'll be like, that's funny, but it's not the same as a live audience that you have to make laugh. So I'm just constantly trying things and sometimes they work right away and sometimes they don't work, but I always give it three times. So like if a joke bombs three times, it's a bad joke, but if it gets something, then it's like, all right, it's, there's something there. I just have to tweak it. I have to, I have to add, I have to take out a word, add a word, do a different take. Like punchlines are not the hardest part about comedy. Premises are the hardest part about comedy, figuring out, the setup because a good setup you'll get some laughs just based on the 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 thought then it's just trial and error and finding that right punchline so it's scary bombing don't get me wrong but as i've done it enough now i'm not scared by it it's more like a challenge so so to circle back on the mencia thing so you have five minutes of material you need to have 10 and so you're basically just throwing stuff against the wall and so but were you leading with your five minutes or were you like interspersing it or how did you do that General rule of thumb when you're trying new jokes, open with stuff that you know works, close with stuff you know works, try the new stuff in the middle. Because if it fails, you know you have something that'll work in the end, that'll save it. And you want to open with something that you know works because you want to get that ball rolling and you want to get the moment of comedy going. Now, if you really want to know if your stuff is good or not, your new stuff, open with it but or close with it. Uh, but it's dangerous, <laughs> especially closing. Because if, if you close and it doesn't work, you're like, well, f- crap. <laughs> like that, that, that was the ending. Like, it, you know, then you have to stay on stage longer to try to try to try to get them back. But yeah, it, it, it's just like joke writing is just trial and error. And when people come up to me and say like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to do comedy. Do you have any tips? Like, or how do you write material? Um, one thing I always say is, okay, do you go to a party when when you go to a party, do you have like three stories that you always tell at a party? And you usually they go, yeah, I go, okay, start with that, that those are your jokes, those three stories, because you already know the beats, you know what the, you know, those stories have a beginning, middle and end. Um, you're comfortable saying them on stage. You're not trying to remember how the story goes. So like, that's a good baseline where, where you start with the stories you've all, you've already told a million, a million times, you know, they work when you're at a party and you're, and you're meeting new people. And then from there, you can kind of just slowly grow out. And I mean, yeah, I watch TV. I watch the news. I read Twitter. And if I see something funny, I write it down. On that topic, like, you know, as a chef, if I can make a great dish, I can serve that dish forever. Or, or if a band makes a great record, they can play those songs forever. But you as a comic like you can't do the jokes that were on the specials because everyone's heard them already yeah don't get me wrong some comics that do like to play those hits (laughs) that is completely up to them if they haven't written a new joke since the reagan administration but uh that's that that that's up to you but for me yeah i want to always have new jokes i want to always have new material and there are times i've got a couple of bits that people this past weekend someone requested while i was on stage they go do the flag joke. So I was like, oh, well, all right. And I kind of looked at the audience like, do you, <laughs> do you know this bit? No. Okay. And I did it. The majority of the audience still laughed. It worked. And that guy got his joke. But I don't think people realize like when they request a joke or they want to hear a joke again, it's not going to hit you like it did that first time when you didn't know the punchline. You're more likely to just sit back and go, ah, this is nice. But it's not like it's not yeah, like yeah. going to 
get that belly laugh that you got the first time you heard it. But yeah, no, if like it's usually the flag joke is something that people request. And uh, I have a I have a joke about small urinals that kind of went viral. Every I fly a lot too, and every time I see one, I think of that joke. Every God time, right? And then when I, when I use it because I have to, I'm looking, I'm looking <laughs> over my shoulder for you. Exactly. How do you deal with hecklers? It's always weird when people come up to me after the show who they they were the heckler, and they walk up and go, "Hey, man, I really helped you out." No, you didn't. You did not help me. I I was good. I was fine. Yeah, but we had a nice little moment there. Yeah, that's that's because I'm good. I tur- I spun your shit into gold, but it wasn't good. Um, so just know that if you're thinking about heckling at a comedy show, you're not helping. You're not helping. If it turns out that you heckling gives the cut, co- like one time um, I was at a Dave Attell show, some lady yelled at him. Like he said something, she yelled out, fuck you, Dave. And Dave Attell just paused and went, all I heard was come, come, gurgle, gurgle, and the sound of a father crying. And, and like that's one of the funniest things I've heard. That was a great comeback. But that's how good David Tell is. That had nothing to do with the, uh, with the heckler. So when I do get a heckler, there's a weird science to it. Where like if someone's talking just loudly, like it depends on the kind of heckle. If someone's just talking loudly, like they're distracted or they're drunk, one trick I do is I start talking softer. I don't try to overpower the show. I talk softer and I get quieter. And then sometimes the audience like self-polices. They go, oh shit. Like I didn't know I was talking that loud and they kind of realize it and then they shut up. Now, if, if someone flat out comes at me and says like, you're not funny or fuck you or whatever, that's almost more fun because now they're the aggressor because you have to respond like one click above what they gave you. So if someone's just talking slightly loud, uh, you, you can't respond with shut the fuck up. You fucking asshole. Like now, Whoa, Whoa, where'd that come from? Like you're a dick. So, and then the audience will recognize that. But if someone says, Hey, Brad, fuck you. Okay, cool. You're the aggressor. Now let, now I can come at you full. And one thing I've noticed when responding to hecklers, I have two techniques. One is I kind of deconstruct it where I go, oh, oh, why did you yell that out? And then the person's like, well, because, and then they're going to say something stupid. One technique is you ask the heckler a question and eventually they're going to say something because they didn't plan this out too far. They had had the one line that they were going to say. And then after that, they have no idea what the fuck's going to happen. So eventually they'll give themselves enough rope to hang themselves with. Um, So that's one technique. The other technique, if it's like a drunk person that makes no sense, I found out that people respond to scolding. Like I've flat out scolded someone before. So I was in Jacksonville, Florida, and my opening act was uh, a female comic. She was great. I wish you remember her name, but she was really funny. But before she even said anything on the microphone, she was the first one up. Before she even said hello, this dude in the front row just yells out, take your shirt off. And I was like, fuck this. And I ran out on stage and I grabbed the microphone and went, shut the fuck up. Shut the, why the fuck did you do that? You disrespectful piece of shit. She's a hardworking comic. She's funny as shit. And you're just being a drunk asshole. All your friends hate you. Like, and I just scolded him. 
And you can see the look on his face like, oh, 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 that's not supposed to happen. Like, he did not like it. And he was good the rest of the show. For some odd reason, if you scold someone, it reverts back to, like, being a kid and your mom or your dad catching you. And now they're yelling at you. And you're like, ah, like, and you just stop. Um, complete side note, but kind of related. Someone was saying, like, I think, like, the San Antonio Spurs have a female assistant coach. And Greg Popovich got like thrown out or something and she took over. And it was like the first time a female coach ever, I think it was in the G League or the summer league that just happened. Anyway, but I I saw some people like, do you really think professional athletes can respond to a woman? I go, yeah, every one of those guys has a mother. Every one of those guys has a mother. Every one of those guys has a grandmother. And I guarantee you they responded to them. Like when when you get scolded, there's some sort of, it reverts you to like, childishness and you're just like oh fuck i'm sorry and so that so so that's another one of my techniques so one last thing so you and i were talking before the show and i was telling you that a lot of our guests are heavy metal you were in a punk band at one point and no one really knows about this yes <laughs> yeah i didn't know that my friend are you how do you keep that from me because <laughs> it, it was like i was in high school and this band came to play at our high school and i just liked them they're, they're, they were a funny band. They were a punk band. Like, and when I say punk, I mean like that late 90s, early aughts punk of like simple plan and ba- basically guys that sang like this, like the whole kind of nasal. <laughs> um, uh, Adam Devine, we were talking one night and he told me like we were, we got into that era of music and he goes yeah every song from that era had it started with a season and then a location so every song was like summer the city i saw you there like it was like it's all that like winter your high school like it's it, like everything was that and that's how this band sounded the band was called up syndrome i just thought that was a great name up syndrome that's funny and they and they and they played like fun punk music. So I talked to him after the show. I'm like, I, I told him like I can't play anything. I can't, but I can. What can I do for you guys? And they just looked and they saw me and they're like, all right, little person, we're a punk band. We could do this shit. So I essentially became like a hype man on stage. Like I would just run around during the shows, sing random lyrics, mostly choruses, like do cartwheels crowd surf wear funny outfits and it, it just enhanced the show um we had a we had a hit that got played on k-rock uh out here in los angeles it was called the safe sex song um and i i even had a rap that i jumped in and i and i i still know it it it, it started off uh wait let me go uh, 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 uh. I'm the B to the R to the A to the D. Pick up the phone. You got a call from Booty. It's time to get it on. Time to get crazy. Got a little dick. Stamina. Amazing. First things first. No time to rehearse. Give me a rubber before the dwarf burst. I know you're getting horny, baby. That ain't wrong. But before you spread the thighs, condomize this dong. Word to your mother. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. It's the stupidest thing. But it was so much fun. And uh, I, I, I really enjoyed being in a band and acting stupid on stage. And I didn't have to do really any work. All the, all, all the musicians were doing all the work and they, were, and they were doing everything. But I still got to be like in the band and uh, it felt really good. They, they broke up. It's not like they're still touring. They're not like still opening for Yellow Card or something like that. But um, 
up syndrome. That was my up syndrome days. <laughs> We're going to let you go on a minute. We like to keep these short and sweet. We want to leave our listeners wanting more so we can have you back. Awesome. Personally, just from my own personal experience, I got about a 35 minute attention span when I listen to a podcast. So I kind of <laughs> modeled behavior. Um, it's science. You don't do the Joe Rogan three and a half hour pods? No? No. No. 35, 40 minutes, and we're out, and we can have you back on. Matt, did you have anything else for my good friend, Brad? I think we're good. Brad, thank you so much. Uh, how, where can people find you? Not on tour, but like, what's your socials and all that? Yeah. Please go to my website, at Brad Williams Comedy, or, or just bradwilliamscomedy.com, and um, that has all my tour dates. I'm booked into August of 2022, uh, so I got, I, I, got a, I got a tour. Follow me on Twitter, at FunnyBrad. I try to tweet jokes and dates and stuff like that on instagram at brad williams comic if you want to know what my life is like with my 72 pound pit bull and my daughter the asian dwarf baby or the adb as we call her go on enjoy tell me chris santos sent you and i cannot recommend having the um what, what is it the grilled cheese uh soup grilled cheese bites yeah Grilled cheese soup dumpling is one of the greatest things that's ever been invented in food. And it's at Beauty and Essex. So go to what? New York, LA, Vegas. Yep. With more to come. But I want, but this is about you. And I, I didn't do a good job at the beginning selling this. Um, this guy is absolutely hysterical. Before we, before we met and became good friends, I would literally show all my friends, his comedy specials, um, fun sized and daddy issues. And every, I want everybody over one by one, including my mom, um, but also all my friends, all my degenerate friends, um, he's hysterical. So go check out those two comedy specials, go to his website, find out where he's, where he's doing a show and go see it. It is like, I've, I've seen, I've taken, what did I take that one time in New York? 20 people. Oh, God. At least. And they still talk about it. When's Brad going to come back? When can we see him again? So this is, this is no joke. So check him out. Thank you for being here. We're going to have you back soon. Always. A- a- anytime you guys want me. I will be here. No problem. Just like after a couple more months on the road, be like, go good stories. Let's make it happen. All right, let's do it. Yeah. Thanks guys. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.